With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the all-new McCovey Chronicles podcast channel. I'm Brian Murphy. I'm hosting episode 81 of the McCovey Chroncast, one of three shows on the channel. SB Nation, that's who hosts the McCovey Chronicles site. They are moving to a new model. Uh, we're on a new platform, Megaphone, and our part of our new platform is having multiple shows per channel. So on the McCovey Chronicles channel, we will now have McCovey Chroncast, which uh, this is episode 81, and we will have a new show. We have a new show that came out two weeks ago uh, that's starring Sammy Higgins, and Sammy is our deputy editor, and she is running MCC Happy Hour. And every week she'll have on a new guest and do interviews, and it will be wide-ranging topics in baseball. It won't just be Giants-related. And then we're going to have a third show that will run maybe twice a month, and that will be a prospect sort of roundup uh, review of the Farm System show. That'll be with Roger Munter, who actually is my guest for this first, the season premiere of the Croncast, and he'll be on later. We'll talk about the 2019 Major League Giants very briefly. Uh, in the meantime, it's just going to be me today. No Doug Brizzoni, no Sammy, and all that part of the format is to be worked out. Doug should be in one of these days. Sammy, again, is on MCC Happy Hour. Check it out on the channel. We already have two episodes up. The first one uh, featuring SB Nation's Ashley McLennan and the most recent one featuring the Internet's Lena Berry. So check that out. And so today, it's just going to be me, and I will touch on a few things. Uh, I'll first catch you up on, again, we've got the channel. We are in year two of no Grant. Grant was, uh, Grant Brisby was uh, around last year, but he's not around this year. He's formally left the company and he's with The Athletic. And so if you're unclear of what's going on on the site since he's left, essentially we have a writing staff now, multiple writers, myself, Sammy Higgins, and we have uh, Kenny Kelly is uh, kind of the lead writer on the site. He does most of the recaps. We've got Brady Klopfer and we've got, uh, we've got two new ads this year. We've got Shut Up Wesley who's one of our commenters, and we've got TJ Macias, who's coming, who came to us. Um, and I'm missing someone. I've got Roger, we've got Kevin, and <laughs> you've got me, and you've got Doug. And so that's basically our writing staff that we do, and we do seven posts a day. If you haven't picked up on that format yet, we starting last season, we went to a different model of having multiple posts per day on the site, so this podcast will be in addition to all of our fine site content, uh, content, and I feel like a podcast can work versus a uh, versus blog posts. In that conversations and jokes and all that free flowing conversation, you might be able to touch on a topic briefly that may not necessarily warrant a post. Why did I read this? 
And I think that's a legitimate thing. We, I often wonder, is this something that's worth writing and having someone read in terms of a conversation and the conversation general topic being the Giants? What tangents can it go off in? And if you're interested in hearing about the conversation that week, uh, you can you know, follow it along on a podcast and it hopefully will be with a bunch of personalities. I'm giving you all this when I maybe could have given it to you all last year, but I didn't because I was still getting my, my sea legs, getting um, the site situated, trying to figure out what to do. You know, taking over from Grant, you I expected that it was going to be a transition season, uh, but I am no far anxiety. It's uh, simply a matter of, you know, adjusting. Grant had a style and a way of running the site. The site had its own culture that developed out of that. So knowing that that was all, all going to change, uh, regardless of who was going to come in next, uh, was you know just a transition. Also, the Giants were bad for most of the year, and uh, or you know not great. And with just all the moving pieces of what needed to be done to make sure the site published every day, the podcast was kind of put on the back burner. And then, as you might recall, maybe you don't. Uh, over the second half of the season and then me during the off season kind of trying to figuring out how to retool this and I was kind of thinking of just sticking the show in the back pocket and just sitting on it indefinitely until a better idea came along. I thought maybe we could move into a different model where we're not recapping the week that was because one again the Giants are bad so why go over what what happened that was bad we're also kind of covering that every day on the site so how could we do a podcast that was different, maybe with guests, sort of like what Sammy's doing with MCC Happy Hour? We could do the podcast that was it was just strictly about the minor leagues and the prospects, which we're already we are doing now with Roger. So the Croncast will sort of fall back into the general Giants discussion, maybe even the general site discussion. So if you're an avid reader of the site, you comment on the site. Maybe this might still have a connection directly with that, whereas our other two podcasts might be a little bit more about very specific things not necessarily related to the Major League Giants team. So on that note, I guess we'll get into what happened over the weekend, which was that we published an article about Derek Holland's appearances and the Giants' record in those appearances. And uh, and as I tell the writers and as we talk about um, on our own that the team reads the site and sometimes it's a surprise when they do almost always it's when something not flattering comes up but not always and and so it's always a reminder that um that they are reading and and how we phrase things is important and in this particular case the headline of the article was fairly benign it was just um the giants are 2 and 18 when Derek Holland makes an appearance which I'd say is pretty benign. That's just the thing. But the tweet that went out probably could have had some better editorial oversight. And that that tweet happened to be, uh, when Derek Holland pitches, the Giants always lose. So that is the sexy headline grabber that works, but also obviously uh, frustrates and upsets people, myself included, at times. So... Uh, Derek Holland saw that when he was looking at Twitter and and uh, and responded to it and said, "Hey, cool, thanks. Like I'm not already feeling bad enough about how things are going." 
And, um, you know, the article, once you get into it, does not sit there and trash the guy. It actually says it's pretty silly to trash him, but it is sort of remarkable that that is the situation. The Giants are 2-18 and 18 when he appears in a game. But, you know, it's basically because he's in a situation right now where he's coming into the game when he's trying to work things out, and the game is sort of out of hand anyway with the Giants, whose offense, as you may or may not know, is not very good. And if you read uh, Shut Up Wesley's post that went up last night, that talks about how the Giants offense has been, since uh, 2017, has been the worst in the league for sure. So I'm giving you a little insight into all that. If, uh, you know, it's... I don't want to make players feel bad. I literally wrote an article the week before that one that was written, that went up on the site on Saturday, uh, and Brady even makes mention of it. I literally, like the week before, wrote another uh, article that I think had a worse headline, <laughs> but it didn't get the reaction that uh, that that this one got because I guess the tweet was a little more benign, but... The headline was the two possible reasons why Derek Holland is one of the five worst pitchers in baseball. That to me sounds worse. So uh, in that one, though, I definitely kind of went out of my way to say it's a bad look to kind of rag on a player. And so making it a point in that one that I'm not trying to like dump on the guy to make him feel bad, but like what's going on here? The fastball is the same, spins the same, like he still has strikeout stuff. So what's going on here? And that one kind of figured he's missing location. And that's happening to a lot of the Giants pitchers this year, so it's not exclusive to him. But it is curious, and I do wonder what is causing that. And uh, absent any other answers, there's no sign of injury, there's no suggestion of injury. What makes the most sense to me is focus. And I don't know that seems like it, it's judgmental but i um, but also it seems well within what facts are in evidence that i have no i think it's incredibly difficult to throw a baseball if you read jim uh bouton's book uh am i saying is it mountain or bouton the ball four book you know always talked about how you know pitching coaches would get on pitchers for a location about they're trying to hit this really small spot and somehow getting lambasted for not being able to hit, you know, something that's like the size of a quarter dollar. And pitching doesn't quite work that way, you know, with command and control. At the same time, that has an enormous effect on the result of any given pitch. And so you have to wonder to what extent does the human mind and focus and concentration weigh in on that? The Giants are not a good team. Derek Holland has already had sort of a public kerfluffle about his role uh, on the team when they experimented with the opener in in May. He was upset about that and, and stated his concerns. He has no idea what's going on. I'm not singling him out because, again, it's, it's sort of a team-wide problem. And I wonder if the team being bad has some sort of effect on people's focus. And I wonder if that is something that can be fixed. Uh, because in terms of just measuring biometric talent, which is a weird way of doing it, but that's information available to us, we can certainly see that there's a lot that doesn't uh, look like it's bad. It looks like they're, they've got major league quality physical talent. So what's the missing factor? And I think it's, you can say maybe it's the catcher, maybe it's a scouting report, maybe it's just getting beat by hitters. And all those things can be true, but if all those things are just as likely, 
why not focus? So, I don't know. That's me drawing a conclusion in an article from a week ago. The one that was posted yesterday was maybe more along the lines of like, isn't this weird that this is the team's record when this guy's in the game? And uh, I think historically it's probably, it'll be interesting to revisit that if Holland's still on the team at the end of the year to kind of go back and see what the team's record is in his appearances for the full season and then sort of doing a historical comparison to see if there's something really odd about that. Not as a, not to pile on him, but to just just to say, look at the situation. Um, Derek Holland was two year is a year removed, two years removed from being at a similar crossroads in his career. He's basically having the 2017 season that made him uh, a non-roster invitee by the Giants. Um, so he's already been in the situation before. He's already turned it around before. So there's evidence that this can go his way very easily. But on the other hand, there's a tweet that went out that linked to an article that might have caused a problem. And it's just a reminder that people that people from the team read the site. Um, I guess I'm just telling you because maybe you didn't know that. <laughs> but also just it's a good reminder to our staff that that is also something that happens from time to time. Um, I definitely gotten some trouble last year saying some things about uh, Nick Hunley and I think just the way that we were looking at his performance I think before that or around that same time Hunter Strickland is certainly you know he's done some blocks on Twitter and all that and uh, you, you get it players they play with emotion this is a high pressure situation they're human beings you know Derek Holland is very capable of seeing the results of his work and feeling the same way and, you know, I read comments about our writing and how we're doing on the site, and I can see numbers too. And when days are bad, it's easy to feel bad about yourself. And when days are great, it's easy to feel good about yourself. And when someone says something that is in between and can make you feel however you're feeling on that day. So in any case, that's a uh, secret sauce stuff that I just figured, well, for a season premiere, episode 81, might as well get into some of that because it seems like uh, kind of ignore what the podcast was originally started as, which was sort of a an extension of the site itself as opposed to just being a view of the Giants, who we know are bad. They were 3-4 and four this past week. They won the first game against the Dodgers, and I think that's that was swell. That was a fun game. After that, it didn't go so well. And we'll touch on the rest of the week after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. Okay, and now I'm back to reviewing the week that was. <laughs> uh, and it was not great. Uh, three and four, Dodgers, after losing that first game, they really, really took it to the Giants in the next three games. I mean, do we need to go over them? They scored nine runs in each of those games. Uh, the Giants' Pythagorean record, that's the one that sort of the beat writers were talking about. After the Giants lost uh, yesterday, 3-2 to two in extra innings, uh, they now have a Pythagorean record 
of uh, 28 and 48. They have two, scored 299 runs and allowed 389 runs. The Pythagorean record is using the Pythagorean formula, a squared plus b squared equals c squared. Oh, am I right? Yep, that sounds right. To determine what the... Um, to determine what the record should be based on the runs scored and the runs allowed. So the Giants, again, have allowed, have allowed 389 runs. They have, uh, they have scored 299 runs. In uh, sabermetric parlance, you basically say that every 10 runs equals a win. So really the Giants, uh, by that measure, are like 30 and 39. But they have not played that many games. So doing the Pythagorean math, the win percentage should be 371. 371 times the 76 games they played, that's what gets you 28 wins. And 28 wins uh, minus 76, that gives you 48 losses. So that's where they're at. That's how I figured that out because it hasn't been updated on Baseball Reference as I'm recording this, and you don't care. Uh, how did the Giants look? Well, they looked against the Dodgers. They looked like the Giants, how you would expect them to look against the Dodgers save that first game. And obviously there was the game in there that Madison Bumgarner was shelled. He had his worst start ever against the Dodgers. So what does that mean for his trade value? That's the big conversation. On the site, we've been doing weekly trade value updates. Uh, I feel a little gross doing them. I, I'm going to be honest. I think it's a little weird commodifying baseball players at this point in my uh, life. <laughs> you know, a year ago, two years ago, these were all like normal things. I just think uh, at this point, it's not quite as fun to look at them as pieces to be moved because they are people. But also it's sort of like, what is the fun in this at this point? Uh, I think in the case of Bumgarner, it's sort of talked about, I've said this in the articles, and that is Bumgarner's value to the Giants is greater than it will be to any other team, regardless of how he, where he is in this performance trajectory. And he's clear or performance curve, and he's clearly on sort of a downslope. Um, velocity up, strikeouts are great, but walks are up, hard hit contact up. And against the best offense in the National League, or the second best offense, it's the best offense, excuse me, he, they treated him like he was not, uh, he was no hot stuff. And the teams that would want him and need him for the postseason that would potentially face the, the Dodgers, you know, they saw that. Does one start mean everything no but it doesn't mean nothing um and i think just ordinary you got to go back to this other post i wrote where you have to imagine how little the giants are going to get in return for him and then you have to ask yourself is that small return really then worth it like what are the what's the team doing and now that i think about that with a few weeks removed from that article I still think, given the state of things, trading Madison Bumgarner and getting back basically an A-ball reliever and a double-A reliever for him, which is basically what they're going to get for him. Maybe they'd get some like 25-year-old who's too old for his league and the team was, the other team's going to cut anyway, but he's like really fast or he like doesn't strike out a lot, like some weird tool. Maybe that, that might be what they can get. For him at this point and i'm like eh, is that enough and that is it gonna feel like it's worth it and i think at this point feeling like it's worth it is just as important as it actually being worth it because we're not in a place where the giants are gonna be good anytime soon this is all about feeling so they're just gonna we're really playing out this weird string where 
These losses that they have don't mean anything because they're not going to learn anything new from these young players. Because one, they're not that many young players. Two, they're not that young. So three, they're not going to really be around for the next good Giants team. This is not like we're watching a bunch of 24, 25, and 26-year-olds figure out how to win or play against Major League uh, competition. We're just going to be watching fill-ins help the older players who are on the team because they're legacy players and or immovable just kind of play out the string of their careers, which is a weird thing to think, but it's weird to think that Crawford, Posey, and Belt, and I guess Sandoval, you know, in panic, are kind of like the their best days where they're the stars are behind them. So until they are not making star money and until they are not in a situation where they have to be stars, um, we're not going to really get much turnover. So Alex, the Alex Dickersons of the world, which is the big news. We should probably have just made this the Dickerson cast. Um, you know, tw- he's another 28-year-old outfielder, though. Same as Mike Yastrzemski. Um, you know, what what's the ceiling for those types of players? We might get some league average production, which would be a, a boon for the Giants at this point. But ultimately, what's it going to mean two years from now when they're competing, potentially competing for a wild card spot? It's unlikely either of them are even on the team, or if they are, they're their days are numbered on the team. Uh, and so it's that's what I mean. What are we watching? Sean Anderson, is he going... Are we just watching him figure out how to be a, a back-of-the-rotation starter? Same with Tyler Beatty. And is that really enough to get excited about? So back to the Bumgarner idea. We're gonna He's going to get traded away for two or three players who are not probably not in the top 25 of any of the trading team's prospect pool. Maybe, maybe Farhan works some magic. I don't know. Maybe he takes on a team's bad contract as well to get a better prospect. I'm not sure. But let's just let's just assume right now what it looks like, the way Madison Bumgarner is pitching and what that potentially means. So two relievers, an A ball and a double A reliever, maybe two double A relievers, who probably won't ever pitch for the Giants on the major league team. Or maybe one will, and maybe one will wash out, because that's what happens to prospects. Or neither of them pan out, because that's that's just the way baseball works. It's a very high turnover. It's very hard to make it. Is that going to feel worth it? Then we will have just traded Madison Bumgarner to trade him. And I think I'm struggling with the idea that it's even worth doing it, if that's all that's going to happen. I think... It's got to be. It's got to feel worth it. In addition, and it's got to feel at this point, based on Bumgarner's performance, it at least has to feel worth it. Even if on paper it may not be worth it, that means if you take a guy who two years ago was in someone's top fifteen but has tumbled down quite a bit, I feel like that's more worth it than settling for two or three players outside of the top twenty-five or top thirty on a team's prospect list. Just because that's that's you know you got the hope aspect of the two years ago guy and maybe he's twenty five or twenty six but you know he, he's struggled with injuries or he's had trouble adapting to the league and the Giants think they can fix him and I think that those are the types of things where you're like okay well those types of trades still kind of happen in baseball it would be a good test of the new organization the new management team to see if they can 
put a player into their development pipeline with whatever they've done to revamp it technologically, instructor-wise, whatever it is, and see if their new program can start fixing, transforming, uh, tweaking, um, maximizing the talent and potential of players. I think that then might be worth it. I mean, the, but just to note, the odds are that it, whoever they get is not going to hit just because. So you're not going to replace Madison Bumgarner, that's for sure. I don't know how I feel. I mean, how I feel about that is, you know, is that worth it? And I guess what I'm saying is worth it is the, could the Giants clubhouse be any more low energy than it is? Which brings me to my next topic. <laughs> you know, uh, the, the thing about Alex Dickerson's appearance was not just that he had nine RBIs in his two games, which is a, a very rare occurrence. John Belker was one of the last Giants to do it. Uh, he brought some energy. I don't know if you heard this over the weekend, but... They started a chant in his honor, and the chant was very original. No one saw it coming. It was just, dick, 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 dick. So that's the new chant. That's the 2019 rally call. It's just a bunch of dudes saying dick over and over again. Frankly, I'm, I, I think that's the perfect rally cry for the 2019 Giants. Alex Dickerson did not have a hit in yesterday's game, but Kevin Pillar, after he had hit his home run in the seventh inning, when he came back to the dugout, they were chanting dick. So when they start the game tonight, I think we should we should hear the fans, the true Giants fans in the bleachers shouting dick repeatedly. Just the whole game, maybe. The whole game is what needs to happen. But Alex Dickerson's uh, return, his emergence, um, he missed a year, a full year with Tommy John surgery, a full year with back surgery, post-back surgery. So 28 years old, but really has missed two years. Um, not not quite a reclamation project, but sort of like an inspiring comeback story. That was one way of sparking the clubhouse. Stephen Vogt, I think, has been a huge uh, energy boost to the clubhouse as well. Both of those guys, though, coming back from surgeries that put their career to crossroads or put them on the shelf for an extended period of time. Excuse me. I think that's the whole... That's a whole um, storyline, a whole vein of track in this far anxiety era, maybe in these next year, this next couple of years, is sort of finding guys who have a talent, maybe, and an interesting backstory. So Stephen Votes, like coming back from surgery, being the backup catcher, dealing with all that stuff. Alex Dickerson, surgery, being out. He, his, you know, Votes' skill is sort of maybe on base, but sort of... He's all around kind of an averageish player. He's got average speed. He's got average uh, on base ability, maybe average power, average contact. Behind the plate, he's sort of an average catcher defensively. It's like average all the way around. That's kind of his thing. And then the interesting backstory Dickerson seems to be a little power and a little plate discipline. He doesn't strike out more than he walks. Uh, and, and he's got the interesting history backstory. So. That might be it. We'll see. We'll track, you know, Yastrzemski, obviously, the backstory being the grandson of Carl Yastrzemski, and then 28, kind of fighting his way through the minor leagues. Seems like he has some back control, too, and he's kind of a little, he's got a little speed. He's kind of good on defense. I think those are the backstory, plus some one main skill will probably be in this uh, play out the string era of Giants baseball, what we're going to see from the the new candidates that Zaidi and company bring in. Uh, 
Um, I think that's really great, actually. These are the stories that we look for in a in a long baseball season anyway, and that coupled with the Giants just kind of like coasting through Bochy's final year and just the fog of what are we, I think that's uh, having these little side stories are important, and they haven't quite coalesced because, you know, Mike Gerber washed out pretty quick and had to be sent down. We had the Michael Reed, Connor Joe fiasco in the first week or two of the season. Uh, Drew Pomeranz hasn't quite worked out to be sort of that comeback story. So, And none of the new guys or old guys, like Steven Duggar or anything, no one's really kind of stepped up to to write a new chapter in their stories. Pablo Sandoval probably is the other exception. So I'm, there are three stories. Travis Bergen, eh, maybe four. So there we go, four stories that kind of stand out. Um, we'll, we'll watch that as the year goes on with the Croncast. All right, we'll get to Roger's interview in just a minute. Uh, one last thing I want to touch on is a comment made by Nationals outfielder Adam Eaton. Uh, he said this yesterday about, about the minor leagues. And he said he was talking about sort of helping the minor leaguers out, helping them to get a living wage. And his comment was, if, quote, if you do, complacency sets in. Uh, I think it's difficult, yes, and it's easy for me to say that because of where I am, but I wouldn't be where I am without that if I financially am supported down there and financially can make a living and not have to get to the big leagues, I think I'm a little more comfortable. I think that I might not work as hard because I know I'm getting a decent paycheck every two weeks and may not push myself nearly as hard. What he is doing is repeating an offset thing by coaches, front offices, that when a guy is hungry, he plays harder. When he plays harder, he gets better, and then that's how he su- he succeeds, and then he can get his payday and free agency and all that stuff. So what Adam Eaton is sort of borrowing is the management mindset of poverty makes you stronger, strength is what makes you better, and being good makes you good, and being good is how you are a professional who can get paid fairly, I guess. And I think that that's pretty ridiculous to say that minor leaguers who are especially being... There was a law literally passed to say that they were exempt from overtime um, because it was impossible to calculate what that overtime could possibly be. So they're seasonal employees who have to work 100 hours a game. They, They have no one single office, but they are responsible for their own nutrition and their own health and their own rest, uh, even though they're not quite sure, they don't have set hours. Baseball games have undefined hours. They don't. We don't all just stop playing the game once it's 10 p.m. They have to sleep on buses. Not a great place to sleep. They have to travel and eat whatever they can with what little money they have, which usually means fast food or skipping meals. Some players even have to hold down jobs while they're playing during the season in addition to working in the offseason. Now, a lot of people think that builds character. Character is valuable and it helps you be better and that makes you a better baseball player. I'm not sure about all that. I'm pretty sure making $50,000 a year and having the, or $50,000 prorated for your season and knowing that, so not worrying you have to, where your paycheck's gonna come next, excuse me, not knowing where your next meal is going to come from, having that need eliminated by having a steady paycheck, I feel like is probably a 
better situation to be in because no matter what, whether you don't have money or you do have money, you're always going to have the pressure of competing for a major league spot. So the idea that you would, that the people who made it are basically closing the door behind you and pushing their shoulders against it to make sure it's very difficult for you to get in because they think your struggle will make you jumping into their club worth it or more valuable. It just feels absurd. You might disagree with that thinking. I wonder, though, if the people who disagree with that thinking disagree with the idea that Adam Eaton is a total putz. Because regardless of what he's saying about minor leaguers, he's a total putz. He famously is the guy who cited... um, (laughs) He was the guy that that, uh, when they were having the big fight in the Chicago White White Sox clubhouse uh, about, um, about... Adam LaRoche's kid being around there. Uh, he was the one taking the side of the, the 12-year-old kid being in the clubhouse. Uh, Chris Sale cut up jerseys and everything. And uh, Todd Frazier and Adam Eaton got into a fight earlier in the season. And it was in part because of an ongoing grudge as a result of that fight in the clubhouse. I don't think Adam Eaton's a popular guy with even the, the people who made it. In his own uh, in his own union, um, I think he's kind of just one of these weirdos who just says, uh, you know, he thinks like a caveman. I guess is kind of the better way of saying it, um, and kind of acts in the most weird ways that irks a lot of people. So him saying something that irks a lot of people and says a weird thing. If you read the full, go on, like read the whole interview, he's uh, kind of trying to split the line, realizing he's saying something that's not very, uh, I guess, cooperative, but also recogn- but feeling very strongly that, uh, that it needs to be said. Basically, like, I know it's not easy to hear, but like, I struggled, so you should struggle because I think the struggle will make you better. I'm not so sure about that. Um, and I wonder what the players' union's response is going to be because I think on the one hand, the idea that there's a comment out there that's left unchallenged that a member of the players' union is saying, hey, you people, we do not cover. We are not trying to get you covered. We are not trying to get you in our group. You, We want you to struggle. I wonder if that's a good message to have out there because – Uh, From an organizational standpoint, telling people you don't want them to be a part of it is not a great look. Uh, From a league perspective, if it's now becoming more mainstream to put it out there that minor leaguers are getting treated like crap, I don't know what the incentive is for more people to go into that pipeline. Uh, So you're creating a situation where fewer people are going to want to pursue baseball potentially. Um, and I also think it reinforces a very old mindset of make a guy hungry and he'll work harder for you. And I don't like the I don't like the dark path that that leads back to. I think deprivation as a way of someone getting what they want out of you is uh, historically not a great situation to be in, and leads to a lot of problems. And stems from a lot of ugly things, uh, a lot of ugly aspects about humanity. But you're not listening to this Chromecast because of discussions about humanity. You follow baseball, which means you have a very, we all have a very set view on on 
reality, probably. Uh, let's get into this interview with Roger Munter, which is going to be about the 2019 Giants. And uh, you'll find out why I brought in our minor league guru to talk about the major league team in the year 2019 after you hear it. Okay, joining us now, I've roped him in, Roger Munter. He does minor lines on the site every day. Uh, Roger, I brought you in to talk about the Giants 2019 and beyond. I uh, like it. Imagine, yes, imagine a thousand <laughs> echoes. And I say this because uh, in prepping for uh, our talk about the farm system, which will go up tomorrow, um, I was struck by something you said, I think, in both times. is sort of like, I saw a lot of bad Giants baseball in the 70s and the 80s. So, <laughs> I, I did, in fact, see a lot of bad Giants baseball. Um, and I'm not enjoying the repeat uh, all that much. but This is what I want to pin you down on. But I am a veteran on it, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, I was not alive in the 1970s, so there's one part. And for the 80s, this is definitely a foundational part of my development which is why i can't believe a's fans are so annoyed uh with giants fans i'm like you every time you had a chance you would rip me for being a giants fan a's fans growing up in the bay area it was a mess anyway so i want to get your sense of like what should we be in store for people maybe people who are just young enough that they were really started being fans in 2010 or around that time like hunter bishop was literally 10 years old when the giants that is, won the that is incredible yeah so <laughs> so just those types of things like what what was your remembrance of the flavor the the the, the slogan i guess <laughs> the slogan yeah. I, I remember i remember you what was the year they were hanging their baby which is the all-time greatest <laughs> giant slogan um and could have lasted from almost the entire 70s um <laughs> Well, like, you know, how do you so get I out guess of bed? One, one thing that I will say is my memory is that there's just long stretches. You can never see the good coming. That's It always happens really, really fast and faster than you thought it would, while the bad just sort of you know lingers on for these terrible stretches of times. Um, but then it would be suddenly gone, and then, you know, back again. So, <laughs> I remember, 78 was an amazing season. So, after enduring really a terrible decade in the 70s, they suddenly had this one year where they were really, really exciting. And, you know, Jack Clark was young star, and they had all this Daryl Evans and Bill. And you thought, okay, now this is great. We're going to turn it around. But, no, they went right back to being bad again for a couple of years. And the same way with, you know, the Will Clark-Robbie Thompson group. It was like suddenly, boom, they're there. And... The next year they were good, so I guess that uh, that may be my one hopeful thing to offer. Is it really seems like it's going to take forever, but sometimes it just well, I guess 2010 is the same way. In 2009, 2010, who knew in 2008 that bad times were almost done? So yeah, who knew um, after Ryan Spielberg said a walk off grand slam? <laughs> That's right. That you were a little over a year away from that being completely different. <laughs> Oh my! I remember very, very vividly in September of 2010, they got swept by the Brewers, right? Somewhere in the middle of September. And I remember my father, who at that point was convinced he was going to, you know, die without ever seeing a champion, calling me and saying, you know, these are just pretenders. They're not contenders. And like two weeks later, they were in the playoffs. It was <laughs> kind of amazing. <laughs> uh, so uh, I was... 
going to make a joke about Jack Clark in 78 that they were so successful that they obviously then found religion and that's what <laughs> yeah. happened that's the, the god squad that's right yeah. the god squad they're like oh it was too sinful being good um uh, so is there anything that was really a, I will just just because that's one of my favorite teams as a youngster that was such an exciting team and what was interesting is that was the last year that the Giants had AstroTurf at the stick and Jack Clark hit a set a all-time franchise record for doubles that year because he hit the ball so hard that anything that went to the outfield was immediately at the fence. And uh, <laughs> I'm convinced that putting the grass in the next year like just took all the all the excitement out. It took all the steam out of that team. <laughs> Much like losing Barry Bonds <laughs> took all the steam out of the Giants. Yes. True enough, yeah. <laughs> um, is there anything, is there any feeling that you get of similarity between the last three years of Giants baseball and any of those 15 years in there? I mean, n- not really, because I can, I, I am one of these people who thinks that if you're going to be terrible, the best reason in the world to be terrible is that you just won a whole bunch of Champions World Series and, you know, you can throw the DVD on and watch it again and that makes you feel better. Um, that was definitely not the case back in the day. And, you know, well, you remember, t- I, so you probably do remember 2002. And at that yes. point, it really felt like <laughs> cursed franchise. Every, you know, they, they were always going to just get there and, and stab the knife in or just be bad for a long period of time and nothing and ever was going to go good. So from that perspective, it's not that much fun to, to watch this product right now, but at least, you know, you know, this, the, the, the cockles of the heart are still warmed watching Brandon Crawford make a great, brilliant, one barehanded play off the mound and things like that. Every broadcast, they get to basically, every day in Giants history gets to pull from that five-year run. Where they're like, I, I mean, why wouldn't you? Why, why wouldn't you, exactly? <laughs> no, I'm saying that's a good thing. It's like every yeah. day. It's like, I don't care what happened on July 17th, but something happened. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, so the gloom of never, you're never, ever going to be real. It's not just that the Giants were bad in the 70s. It's, uh, you know, the Dodgers and the Reds were so good that they were always like 40 games behind by april 15th and it was just that's it so <laughs> it was just they were totally irrelevant and now even though they're terrible they still have this this patina of relevance around them somehow just because they've been good recently uh, one thing that i noted last year was that the giants in the in the franchise history covering both cities they've never been they've never had a losing stretch of longer than four seasons yeah yeah so like you said in the 70s like and then they were good but then they were bad again it's okay (laughs) one season or one or two seasons would break the streak but it never lasted more than four years and now i really want to get your sense of like do you think that's a possibility because i'm kind of banking on that (laughs) yeah i i so i i will with humility, I remember saying and getting an argument with somebody like this was probably a fire Sabian argument that makes me feel really stupid nowadays. But like in going into 2009, I was like saying this is they're going to set the all time record for consecutive losing seasons this year. And then they very much didn't. Uh, <laughs> so with that, knowing that anything time you say something like that, you're guaranteed to sound stupid. It's really hard right now to see how they're not going to set that record. It's before true. they get good again, yeah, um, and you know, and maybe it won't. But I, I, it's it's hard to look at where they are as an organization and think that there's any way they're going to have a winning record in the next two years. 
really five if we're being honest. <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm just not willing to be that honest. I'm, I'm I'm frankness is not a virtue in this case. I think. So you've got you know one reason why you watch is because you're a fan. Obviously, that's why I I watch twenty five percent because I'm a fan, seventy five percent because it's my job. Um, but I mean, so for you, if I can steal some wisdom or experience from you what's something because this is the this is the tricky part about the 2019 team maybe you'll agree with this there's nothing to be learned from any of these games right right none of these players are going to be around when the giants are good again even the young players because they're not that young because there aren't any yeah there really aren't many yeah i mean i was talking to somebody about um uh, dickerson i'm like you know 10 years from now he's Corey snyder right He's Ernie Riles. He's, that's kind of all these people. They're they're all Kevin Bass in a way. Right. Uh, they're guys who come in and they played here for a while and then they're not here. And looking back, when you take a Sporkle quiz, you're like, huh? Who was that? Yeah. A um, lot of John's Bowker going on there. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I do think, as, I'll, I'll ask you where you sit on this. I, I'm not personally a tanker. I like it when the games are competitive. This has been a fun week, generally speaking, in this season. And I prefer these kind of weeks to, you know, like that mid-May stuff that was going on. Because just, you can't watch that stuff very long. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I'm definitely for that. I think I'd rather that, it's sort of that Diamondbacks loss yesterday was sort of like, well, these are going to happen. What We actually learned something from this loss. Like, we don't learn, like, wins are bad. Here's the thing. Wins are bad because they, they, so, so like, what do you they, they hurt you in the long run, but yeah. they're, they're more entertaining to watch. But I guess if you're going to not, if you absent a win, which actually does hurt you, then a loss that's interesting and you learn something from is probably even better than that. Losing yeah. is bad. I mean, losing is bad, but it's what you said. Would you rather have a bunch of these June losses than any of those May losses? And I think the answer is just give us June losses. Fine. Yeah, and it's better than those September losses too. Like I don't want that. <laughs> no, that was. And uh, yeah. and I'm also of the opinion that like like Kevin Pillar, not a very good player. Probably won't be around. You know, whenever Next whatever year. happened. He may not but, be but but. I have like three or four really good memories of him. I'm, and I'm happy he's here actually because he's he's brought these little firefly glimmers of entertainment to the 2019 season. I'm like, yeah, I'll remember that fondly. That's I'm good with that. Uh, so this is my final question. We'll let you go because now I think this is my big thing. Is Stephen Vogt going to go down as one of the? Is he going to be remembered ten years from now in a Juan Uribe esque arena? Juan Uribe obviously has hero moments that won the Giants thing. Yeah. But thought of fondly, uh, Stephen Vogt may not ever get his championship moment, but in a very short amount of time has been the spark of life that they have not had uh, since, I don't know, 2016? <laughs> yeah, so now I'm thinking, trying to think back through time to somebody who I would compare that to, who is like a spark of life, brought some fun, um, but was not around when they ever did anything good. Because um, Randy Wynn was just classy. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> but he did have that one that <laughs> September where, you know, right. he was... Right. right. <laughs> uh, so there's that possibility. So I guess my question is, will Stephen Vogt be remembered and remembered fondly, let's say five years from now? 
I mean, Mike Benjamin, they were actually kind of good when Mike Benjamin was on there, but it, it, there's a Mike Benjamin-esque quality to that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I suspect Stephen Vogt will, well, I don't know. How, how, do, how do we feel about our, uh, our backup catchers of years past? Like, do, does anyone talk about Bobby Estelillo very much these days? No, but I think your Vittorialba is still a sore spot. Like, yeah, what the hell that's happened true. There? That's true. Um, what about Mike Sadek? No. Uh, Mike, but I think Mike Matheny <laughs> is still sort of thought of as fondly. Thought of fondly. I think his career ending the way that it did certainly helps that. But, like, I remember when they had Mike Matheny and he was just raking. I'm like, why can't they have a catcher who hits when Bonds is healthy. Why is it one or the other? Well, and so the the, uh, the other thing is when Vote had the two-triple game, right, it was the the first time a, catch, a Giants catcher had done that since, I think it was 83. Steve Nicasio, is that That's who right. it was? Yeah. <laughs> so there's a name that they said, and I'm like, yep, I remember him, but five minutes earlier, I would never have come up with that name. <laughs> so maybe that's what Steve Vogt will be. It was like, yep, I remember him when you mentioned that. That's uh, possible. But, but uh, you know, given the, that he missed all of last year, this it's got to be feel pretty good for him this season. I mean, yeah, there's nothing, there's Despite nothing but the positive, rest. I think. Yeah. 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 So. Well, thanks, Roger. I appreciate you chiming in about the 2019 Giants. Well, who doesn't want to talk about the 2019 <laughs> Giants, after all? We'll find out if anyone <laughs> listens to this. <laughs> uh, you can read uh, Roger every day on Minor Lines on the site, and you can also follow him on Twitter at Rog, R-O-G, 61. That and is he me. Posts, he posts videos of your favorite Giants minor leaguers, and even the ones you've never heard of who aren't yet your favorites. <laughs> But they um, will be your favorites right. soon, for sure. And he will be. Uh, uh, we will be doing a podcast that will go up tomorrow that will talk about the minor leagues and the draft. So, so listen for that. And uh, hopefully, I can rope him into doing a sort of twice a month uh, prospects farm system show. We'll see. We'll that see. sounds fun. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Roger. Thanks, Brian. Thanks again to Roger for coming on the show. Don't forget to check out uh, that podcast that we talked about that the overview of the minor league system and the draft tomorrow that will go up tomorrow on the channel on the the still untitled Roger Munter podcast or minor lines podcast we haven't figured out a name yet you can put your suggestions in the comments um, for that post when it goes up tomorrow we're definitely looking for a name it's still untitled and don't forget Wednesday there's going to be a new MCC happy hour with Sammy Higgins and a special guest which will be announced when that episode goes up and this Croncast will be back next Monday thanks for listening